with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 28 of Give and Go. I'm your host, Rotas Wadera. Thank you so, so much for joining us on another episode. I know it's been a little while, but we've got a lot of great content coming for you as we reach the end of the year, end of 2019. We've got so much to unpack. This is going to be a NCAA tournament-focused episode with, of course, plenty of women's soccer news to come down the line. But first and most importantly, if you love what we do, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out there. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again, you can get us there. Instagram has been popping lately. Make sure you get over there. And of course, if you like this podcast and you want to support us, there is a donations link that will be shared on our newsletter on social media as well as on my social media. You can check me out on Instagram at Rowan Datas 25, spelled R O W I N D A T A S 25. Make sure you go check us out on all avenues. And again, you can also ask Siri, Siri, subscribe to Give and Go, which is a great way to just immediately get our content as, as quickly as you possibly can. You can play new episodes, you can play old ones, however you want to go about it, that's how you can do it. So again, subscribe on apple podcast that's been probably the most listened to avenue for this podcast so continue to support us guys we really really appreciate it okay so getting into the ncaa tournament has been an incredible incredible ride a couple of major upsets here and there right usually when we get to this stage there are a lot of great teams especially some lower level teams from smaller conferences who dominated in their leagues who got an opportunity to take out some of the big dogs and there was one team in particular we want to highlight really quick before we get into some other Cinderella stories the first major team was actually Central Connecticut State defeating Rutgers 1-0 in round one pretty easy to say that was a shocking upset Rutgers is one of the better teams out of the Big Ten not something you would have expected but then for them to follow up and play West Virginia so tough in round two took them to double overtime before losing to a golden goal you're talking about being that close to a sweet 16 berth for a small school like Central Connecticut State that is a big big deal the other major major storyline from this NCAA tournament is the Washington State Cougars of course coming out of the Pac-12 They've been a perennial NCAA tournament team over the last decade. They've made it a bunch of times, but they really have not been able to get over the hump and, and make a deep run into the tournament. That all changed this year. Last year, they were a team that started off 10-0, got off to a great start, didn't end up living up to their fullest potential last season, but this year, led by Morgan Weaver up top, 
They have truly surprised everyone. We've always known that they can play defense, but they're able to get it done on the offensive end and score enough goals to get them to this point. Their run to the tournament has been something special. They had a very tough matchup in round one against Memphis, a team out of the athletic American Athletic Conference, a ranked team as well that many would have thought would have given Virginia a good match if they would have advanced. Instead, it was the Cougars who won 1-0. But then the shocking upset of all the teams to beat, Virginia, who pretty much spent the entire season undefeated before losing to North Carolina in the ACC title game, Goes down to the Cougars, 3-2. Morgan Weaver was unstoppable. Again, it carried over into the next round. West Virginia, another team. They've got a national championship this decade. They make it far in the tournament more often than not. And what do they do? They shut them out 3-0, making it look easy. And again, this is where we get to the Elite Eight. And again, you're thinking, all right, they've played really well. This is where most Cinderella stories, especially when I referenced the NCAA basketball tournament, a lot of these lower seeds, they didn't even have a, a national seed next to their name, right? They would have likely been what you would call an eight seed based on the way the bracket was set up. They would be an eight seed normally, right? Eight seeds don't normally make it to the Final Four, but you go up against a South Carolina team, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Washington State was able to match them step for step and then in overtime on the back post one of their star center backs was able to be Johnny on the spot and smash home the winner from about six yards out to send them to the final four. It was absolute pandemonium. Their first ever trip a team that really deserves all the credit in the world for, for proving everyone wrong, for believing, well, most importantly, really believing in themselves and finding a way to get the job done. We move on to North Carolina, of course, the team that has been there time and time again. This is their 29th appearance in the uh, NCAA Final Four. Are you kidding me? 29 times. They get here very often. They are the golden standard in women's college soccer, thanks to Anson Dorns. We all know that. Their path to the Final Four was relatively easy. You look at Belmont, they beat 5-0. We're tested a little by Colorado. Again, another Pac-12 team. We'll get more into that and how dominant that conference was. You look at North Carolina then defeating Michigan. A good team, but again, no match for North Carolina. 4-0 there. Their toughest test was the Elite Eight against USC, and that was when they were absolutely tested. Penelope Hawking got the scoring started for USC first, but again, North Carolina continued to show their resiliency. Emily Fox scored a tremendous goal. Macy Barber also netted the winner, so they were able to advance, get to another Final Four. Just that championship experience that they have is going to go a long way in their matchup against Washington State, which we will break down in a minute. Next, we move to the UCLA Bruins, the two seed. They have been incredibly impressive this tournament. And when you talk about the type of soccer that they have been playing, it's almost as if they're playing their best at the perfect time. They are all clicking together as a team. You're looking at 4-1 against Lamar University. Now, Lamar University had two of the better players in the country in terms of scoring and assist making. Okay, so they were that they are no slouch by any means. It might be a no-name team, but that small school out of Texas, but still even managed to score against UCLA. So 4-1 there. They dominated Clemson. I don't think anyone would have expected a 5-0 thumping of Clemson. Again, a solid ACC team that is going to give anyone trouble, and they dispatched them easily. 
Then you look to the next round, another tough team, Wisconsin, out of the Big Ten, Rose Lavelle's alma mater. And again, UCLA silenced them real quick. 2-0, got one goal early on, one goal later on to seal the deal. And again, they made it look easy. The best performance of the tournament, the defending champions, Florida State, were hosting the Bruins. And what do the Bruins do? They go into Tallahassee and... I mean, when you say embarrass, you rarely like to use that word, but they embarrassed them. 4-0 on the road, you go into Tallahassee and get that win. It's unfortunate to see a player like Dana Castellano's career end on a match like that. But again, the Bruins were just too good on the day, and that's good enough to get them to the Final Four. So when you look at their matchup against Stanford, that's what's going to make it so, so interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. We have to look at Stanford's path. And I think coming into this, when you took a look at the bracket, there really was not going to be much of a challenge for them. There were two teams, of course, the, the final two teams that they played, who had an opportunity to beat them. I think you look at the first round game, they broke all kinds of records, won 15 nil over Prairie View A&M. Poor Prairie View A&M making their first NCAA tournament appearance. That's one they're going to remember for a long time. 15-0 Katarina Macario. At this point, do you even need the goal count for her on the year and how many she scored in that game? She had the record for most in a game, I believe, with five. And then you have Hofstra, a team that is game. And again, one of those smaller school teams that dominated in their conference. But again, no match for Stanford. 4-0 there. I'd say their toughest test was Penn State. We know what Penn State is capable of. One of the better teams in the Big Ten great defensively, and they managed to keep Stanford at bay for a while. But again, in the end, too good, they would go on to win 2-0. Going into their Elite Eight matchup with BYU, there are so there were so many interesting storylines because BYU was the only undefeated team left, and it's a question of would they be able to keep their season alive while upsetting Stanford? The Cougars had done so much this year as a, as a team. It really was a record-setting year for them, for their program, and they're only going to go up from here. But for Stanford, again, 2-2 two, two easy, 5-1. So now we have our final four matchups, Washington State versus North Carolina, UCLA versus Stanford. Whew, I mean, this is a tough one. When you look at the first semifinal between Washington State and North Carolina, you hate to see the Cougars' run come to an end here because I did not think they would be able to get past South Carolina. But at the same time, South Carolina is not North Carolina. You look at North Carolina's roster, from top to bottom, they have unfinished business from last year. Players like Emily Fox, Alessia Russo, Lotta Moy, players of real, real quality. I didn't even mention Brianna Pinto. Like, they are so loaded. If they were to lose to Washington State, it would be one of the biggest upsets in NCAA tournament history. And that's not to take anything away from Washington State or their run. They play in one of the best conferences in America. They have seen teams like Stanford, UCLA, USC. So those matchups will help them. They will not back down from the Tar Heels whatsoever. But with that being said, if the Tar Heels do not get this job done, it would be a huge shock. One thing we also need to mention, because you have the Cougars, because you have Stanford, because you have UCLA, three of the four teams in the Final Four out of the Pac-12, which is a pretty big deal for the conference. Last year, the ACC had North Carolina versus Florida State in the final two ACC teams, but this year to have three teams from the Pac-12 speaks to the dominance of the conference and just how good they are overall from top to bottom. Now, Stanford-UCLA, my goodness, this is a matchup of epic proportions. 
And when you look at how this is going to go down, I mean, it's a tough one. These two teams played each other in the regular season. Stanford outshot them. Stanford's goalkeeper didn't even record an actual save, so that speaks to how well they were able to dominate the game. So when you look at what these two teams bring to the table, it has the makings of being an instant classic. I mean, you're looking at two of the teams who have played Again, some of their best soccer. You watch Stanford, right? And it's so hard to pick against them because this year, when you watch them and the goals that they score, there's nothing flashy about it. There is not a single thing where you say, hey, these players are are looking to show off and do what's best for them. They always make the right pass. Always. And so when you watch their goals, literally every single one of their goals are getting the ball out wide to the wings right? Because they make the right pass. Then it's up to that wing player to decide what to do with the ball. And nine times out of 10, they will put that ball into the box to find an open player. And that open player either shoots it or passes it off to the next player who is wide open for an easy finish. That's how the majority of their goals are scored this year. And when you always make the right pass and you were that unselfish, you know, Paul Ratcliffe deserves all the credit in the world for getting the team to play this way. And to be truly unselfish, especially when you have a, when you have players like Katarina Macario and Sophie Smith, who are so, so good, they are still so dominant. And it is so hard to pick against them. But we said the exact same thing last year about this team. And I guess when you think about the difference between last year's Stanford team and this one, they were not as cohesive last year as they are this year. And I think they learned from that last year against Florida State, who really came out and stifled them from the very beginning and jumped all over them with an early goal. The good news for UCLA is they're in a similar position here. They had four losses on their record, but again are playing their best soccer right now, just like Florida State were playing their best soccer at that time last year. And on top of that, they have a level of familiarity with Stanford that other teams do not have by playing in that conference. So, It is going to be very, very interesting how this goes between the two managers and also just the star power on the pitch is going to be something truly, truly incredible. You look at, as I mentioned before, on the Stanford side, but then on the UCLA side with players like Ashley Sanchez, Jesse Fleming, Anika Rodriguez, right? There are going to be so many names from that game alone who are going to have their names called in the NWSL draft one day and will be in the league or go to Europe. They will be professional players. It is a game you do not want to miss. It will likely be televised, hopefully on ESPNU. You should definitely try and catch that as you know as best you can. My pick, it's going to be Stanford versus North Carolina. I think it would be two one seeds, giving us a matchup of, again, just the talent level off the charts. It's so, so tough to pick against Stanford, and I think they are the team that when it's all said and done, is going to get the job done and win it all. Okay, it is that time of the show. We have a very special interview with someone who is a partner with Girls Soccer Network. We are very proud to support Sweat Cosmetics and what she does. She's also a broadcaster for Fox Sports. Here is our exclusive interview with Leslie Osborne as she talks about the trials and tribulations of the NCAA tournament, having won a national title there, among other things, regarding Sweat Cosmetics and Fox Sports. Enjoy, guys. So, Leslie, the NCAA tournament is underway. How much nostalgia do you feel around this time of year, especially having won a national title with Santa Clara? Oh, a lot. Um, This is my favorite time of year, especially here in California. I I think the fall, when it's like November and you know it's time to start the tournament, Um, the weather's amazing, It, it gets crisper here. It's beautiful, and, 
you just kind of know it's game time. So I, I love this. I love the tournament time. I've got so many amazing memories playing in the tournament all four of my years and just so many fond memories. And I feel probably even more because I live down the road from Santa Clara University. So I'm going to all the games with my girls and I it just brings back even more special, special memories um, with me and my team and, and with Jerry and Brandy and seeing them so much too. So I would say I'm, I, I miss it. I miss playing on that field. I miss this time of year because it's go time. You know, everything, every game matters, every minute, every practice. And this is kind of when it all counts. This is what you've worked your entire season and it comes down to this. And I think that pressure situation is, is such an amazing one and it's a privilege to feel it, you know. So the best time of year for, for a college athlete, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talked about the weather changing and all these other factors that go into the tournament. What was the toughest part about going through it as a player? I think the toughest part is obviously finding out on that Monday, you know, what your route and journey can look like, right? Mm -hmm. And not knowing who you're going to play and where you're going to play. And um, fortunately, my time at Santa Clara, most of our tournament games, we got to host at Santa Clara. Mm -hmm. But there were definitely times, especially my junior and senior year, that we got in the same bracket as North Carolina, and if we were to win all of our games, we were going to have to play North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which, as you know, is a, a difficult game and situation. You know, it's not only adjusting to, you know, playing on someone else's field, and maybe it's the weather, it's the jet lag, it's all those things that go into it as a college athlete that you might be going through for the first time in my freshman year, you know, going to the Final Four and experiencing playing in Texas. And experiencing the time change, the jet lag, playing a new team, playing, experiencing things for the first time. I think as you grow into it as a sophomore, junior, and senior year, you you become more accustomed to it, and you learn so much about that process. But I think if you're antsy at this time of year, you're having to prep and you know look at the different styles and teams that you're playing, and it's it's so fun, but it's also pretty nerve wracking, especially when you get um, your bracket and if you're playing a team that you're really familiar with that you've already played before that could also be a good thing or a scary thing you know you get mm-hmm. a rematch so um I think it's crazy that it you know comes down to the NCAA and then kind of picking your your destiny and your route to the final four and winning that national championship which is pretty crazy mm-hmm. you mentioned the bracket and that path currently the Broncos had got that rematch against Cal in round one and beat them. Now they yep. have a tough matchup against Oklahoma State. How do you think that's going to go since you've obviously been so closely associated with the program and the team? Yeah, I've been to um, a lot of their games. I just saw that win against Cal. I think that that was huge for their momentum and confidence to beat a very good team that we've had a lot of history with. I think the challenge will be playing down at USC when it's not your home field and it's actually not USC's field. You know, it's it's going to be a tough game because I think it's an early game because it's I feel like 11 or 12 a.m. or 12 p.m. kickoff, mm-hmm. which that's an early kickoff. So now you're adjusting to a new time and you're playing a team that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. They haven't played Oklahoma State before. There's a lot of unknowns. But on the flip side, I'm sure Jerry Smith and his coaching staff is saying, you know what, we don't need to know a lot about them. We need to focus on ourselves and our strengths and weaknesses and how we play and focus more on their destiny versus, you know, to 
much on the other team. I think the other challenge is you don't want to look past Oklahoma State. So USC is a very good team, and their coach, Kidani, is a very good coach. And, you know, you know if you win that game, you're going to be most likely playing them. So it's taking it game by game and not getting too far ahead of yourself you know, as a team. Um, and that's going to be a challenge. Go game by game and take care of business. And if you do, things will fall into place. And you take it one step at a time, which can be a challenge. Absolutely. So switching gears to more of what you do um, as, you know, leading Sweat Cosmetics, how would you say the current state of affairs are with the company? And is there anything you'd like fans, consumers to know about what's to come? Yeah, I feel honored that I get to be part of a team. All of us founders play soccer collegiately and then professionally. And I think it's really unique because you don't find a lot of female athletes starting their own company especially towards a market that's very close to us and creating products that are designed for the woman, active woman. So a lot of athletes love our products. And I think when I look back, I'm super proud of what we've done as a company. We're four years old, which a lot of startups don't make it that long. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes I think it's good to take a step back and pat ourselves on the back and go, oh my gosh, look at what we've built. Mm -hmm. We were all players who came straight from the soccer field to being business owners, which is pretty crazy. So I'm grateful to be part of it, and I'm super proud of our company. I think what I'm looking forward to is we're launching our new product on December 3rd, which will be a lot of hype, and a new product is going to, you know, just gain a lot of PR and press, so we're excited about that. And also in 2020, we're dipping into more of the skincare market. Right now, we're doing a lot of cosmetics and sunscreen, and we're going into a different category. And so I think I'm excited that we're expanding and growing. And yeah, every soccer player can relate to our brand because every soccer player is in the sun for a lot of hours of the day, and they need to protect their face. And our product is so good for protecting your face, but also making you look somewhat put together. It's for a female athlete, that's very important. And that's why we do really well in this market, especially with soccer players. And, you know, you mentioned how crazy this this ride has been. You know, when you first started till now, would you say this was part of what you guys had envisioned? Or was there a lot of adjustments that that needed to go on, you know, on the fly? Yeah, I think it's hard to prepare for something that you have no idea kind of what it entails. And a lot of people thought we were crazy to not have any business background and kind of go into it. But I know that... If it wasn't for us five, we would have never taken this risk. So we decided to go through it, go through it together. And yeah, we've had to make a lot of adjustments, and we've had to learn a lot of lessons along the way. We've ran into a lot of challenges just being part of something for the first time. Luckily, we've had amazing mentors and advisors to help us, you know, get us to this point. But I would say that it's constantly, it's reevaluating, it's changing the course of our path how we're pivoting, how we're going to stay afloat. And it's, it's a challenge every day, you know. And I think the competitive mindset, you know, our competitiveness is really the backbone of this company. And I feel so thankful to be part of it because I know that playing sports has helped me get to this point in my career and has given us founders the confidence and the drive and the work ethic to continue to push through even when things are going tough. And when we do have wins, small wins, big wins, to not overreact, you know, still staying calm and still working towards our end goal, which is to become
become a major company, you know? Mm-hmm. So being an athlete and playing soccer at the highest level and achieving success has really, really helped me prepare for, for this chapter in my life. So you have Sweat Cosmetics, and you're also one of the uh, leading broadcasters on Fox Sports when it comes to women's soccer. How was your initial transition to broadcasting after having played, and how, is, how did your playing experience help you adapt to that role? Yeah, I think I had major injuries in 2008 when I made the Olympic team, and a couple of days later tore my ACL. It was at that moment when I had to get my left leg reconstructed that most doctors told me that I would not play professional soccer again, especially professionally for the U.S. and the national team. So yeah, it, it gave me a year and a half to take a step back and figure out what else am I passionate about, what do I want to do. And it was during that time that I was rehabbing that I actually started doing stuff for a professional league and getting into TV. And so I was getting experience while rehabbing. And then when I got to go back and play professionally for five more years, I dabbled into the TV stuff and continued to be involved. And so I think when I retired officially, I was almost prepared for it because I had been working on it while I was playing. And so the transition wasn't as difficult. And I was able to watch so many amazing coworkers and learn from them and see what I needed to get better at and how I could always improve. And I think at the end of the day, you know, playing at the highest level helps you be a, a better analyst because you can relate, you can tell things, you have insight, and you can analyze and break things down because you've been there and you've done it. And not a lot of people who are watching you know, the national team games or World Cups or Olympics have been in your shoes. And so uh, being able to have that insight and that experience and those stories, it gives a different angle and insight to the viewers that are at home watching. And you want to make it feel more relatable to them. And I think that that's what I'm thankful for is all the experiences I had playing professionally, playing collegiately, playing in the U.S. Men's national team, and also going through some really difficult times with major career-ending injuries and challenges, getting cut and how I rebounded and bounced back. And so when I analyze these games, I really truly feel that I can come from a lot of different angles and viewpoints with a lot of players, and I think that that's very helpful when I'm doing these games. So breaking down the game, that's your favorite part of about this job, or are there so many other things that, that you can't even begin to quantify? Um, yeah, I do studio, which is usually pre-game, half-time, and post-game. So I don't get to talk all game about breaking down and analyzing the game, so it's a little bit more challenging because I get about three to four minutes before a game, middle of the game, post-game. So I would say that my favorite part is being able to stay connected to the team, being dialed into the game in a lot of different ways. I love breaking down the game. I love thinking about the psychological, the mental aspects, where the coaches are coming, where the players are coming from. Because, again, I, I was in those shoes, and I think that that's the fun part. So, honestly, being involved in the game in any capacity is really important to me because it gave, soccer gave me so much in my life, and all of my close friends are... My former teammates, all of my life lessons have come from playing competitive soccer. And so I think having such a huge role in my life, to be able to be involved in the game, it makes me so happy. <laughs> and now that I have little girls and hopefully they both play soccer, I'm, I'm even more, I want to give back more and I want to be involved in the game. They gave me so much. I'm just trying to give back in any way I can and stay involved because it's such a strong passion in my life. 
Yeah, and you know, you mentioned your little girls, and what is your piece of advice to little girls out there trying to make it as a college or professional player one day? Yeah, when I look back and think, I look back at my journey, I think about how much I loved the game and how much of it came from me loving it. And I had the personality that I didn't want anyone to work harder than me, and I wanted it so badly. And I didn't even know what was next for me. I, it wasn't my dream when I was eight years old to play on the U.S. national team because, quite frankly, I didn't know that I could, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of what drove me was just my passion. And mm-hmm. I would say, if you really want it, you have to work your butt off. And you always want to work harder than the person next to you. And you also want to enjoy the process. I think when I look back, I have so many amazing memories with the youth national teams and winning World Cups, my coaches, my teammates, traveling the world together. I mean, I've been to 30 countries traveling, playing soccer. That's pretty phenomenal. And I, a big part of it was I was coachable. I was willing to fail because I was willing to put in that risk. And I worked incredibly hard, and I had a good attitude. And those are the things that you can control. And so if you focus on the things that you can control – the other things can fall in place. Again, it truly was such a pleasure to have Leslie Osborne on the podcast. Uh, truly one of the premier voices in women's soccer, you know, in today's game and what she's done not only with her broadcasting, but also with Sweat Cosmetics. It's clear that in everything that she does, she's so passionate about the game of soccer that it's never going to leave her, right? Not only is she involved in those facets, but she was also an assistant coach with Santa Clara. Of course, won a national title there, so she's very well associated with the Broncos program. They did, as we mentioned in the interview, they did manage to beat Oklahoma State, got to the Sweet 16, but again, run into it, ran into a very tough USC team, uh, who again was one of the best in the country. So Santa Clara, another great season for them. You know, you could definitely say they're in a, they were a top 30, top 25 team this year, and another great year for them to build on for next season. Okay, so we have some other major news to get to, the kind of the social media and lifestyle portion of the show where we get into all the things that have been going on in the world of women's soccer. Some big news has gone down since the last time we spoke. One major move, we know for sure that there is an NWSL team headed to Louisville. And it's great because I think, you know, when you look over at the MLS, they do not have a team in Louisville. So you're looking at an entity that is going to be truly its own. There's, There's nothing about it that's going to be tied to an MLS team which will have its its pros and cons, right? To have the support of the MLS team on the men's side would be tremendous, but for Louisville to have their own brand it is going to be great. And to have Louisville as, as one of the cities, it's, it's an exciting time, and it's that small market that is hopefully going to latch onto it as a team because they don't have any professional teams, from my understanding, in any of the four major sports the city of Louisville itself. The University of Louisville is probably the most prominent sports-related team that they have out there. So when you look at having an NWSL team there, that's going to be really, really great for the league. It's an exciting time. And again, only something that happened because of the World Cup and because of the level of growth that occurred with all of the attention that was put into it. it it's truly great to see. So we're very, very excited to have a new team. And again, 
this will hopefully just be the beginning and we get a couple more teams as well when you're looking at LA or Hartford, Connecticut, New England area, right? There are so many more that are going to hopefully pop up in the coming years as this thing continues to grow. While, you know, it's great that the league is growing, there is a huge loss that we kind of expected. Sam Kerr played her last game for the Chicago Red Stars. They were unable to defeat the North Carolina Courage, who once again won it all. But for her to be going to Chelsea, it is such a big move. I mean, it hurts the NWSL big time. Not only the NWSL, but the W League, the fact that she's leaving her home country to play in England. The decision obviously makes sense for her because she's done everything she could possibly do in both leagues other than win a championship. She did win a championship in the W League, did not win a championship in the NWSL. But it's a big, big move, and it's signaling what could be an egg, a mass exodus for other star players who are looking overseas and seeing, hey, this is a better situation than what we have here in America. Like, if I want to truly be a professional soccer player and be considered a professional soccer player, I'm going to go overseas where the resources are just flat out better. The best case scenario I can think of is, is Janine Becky, who was probably thrilled to go from sky blue when they were in their deepest, darkest times, to go from there to Manchester City, where you better believe the facilities and the training and everything is going to be top-notch, top-quality. So this was a no-brainer for Sam Kerr. She is an elite, elite player. And now you're looking at Chelsea potentially being one of those super teams along with Arsenal, along with Manchester City. I mean, they already were. But now you're talking about the brand of Chelsea going to a whole other level when you have a player like Sam Kerr. And hopefully now, because she is playing in England, she will hopefully perform and earn all of the accolades that she should have gotten while in America in terms of being on the world stage. So it's it's a great move, but that move from Sam Kerr really had a chain reaction throughout the rest of the NWSL and the W League. Both leagues decided to team up here because they, they they're the goal is to create a super league uh, with better salaries and just a better situation for these players in, in a way to try and make sure that that they stay because you look at the relationship between the two leagues, right? One league ends, the next one begins. The problem is there's no time off. There really is no time off. And there are so many players who have voiced their opinions on having to do it six, seven years repeatedly. When you don't get that off time, it adds up. And it adds up in, in different ways in the NWSL when certain players might have a great year in the W League and then come over and can't carry it over to the NWSL because, again, it's like a vicious cycle. You go from the one league back to the other, back to the other. You do need some time to refresh and take some time off. So it's important that it gets sorted. And hopefully this league will take that into account and will do things better. But it's just the schedule is so tough. This schedule is so tough for American players, especially when you play in the summers. You play in the summers when it's the hottest. That's why we have all these hydration breaks and things like that in England and in Europe. They don't do that. They Their schedule is completely different. It's it's centered around soccer. That's really the biggest thing. In England and in Europe, soccer is the main sport, so the schedule is going to be centered around the main sport. Here in America, unfortunately, the NWSL would not be able to compete with anyone 
when the NFL, NBA, and all that stuff is going on. That would make sense as to why the MLS also has a summer schedule. They do it over the summer so that they know that they can be seen the most and drive advertising dollars and, and viewership money the most because you do it over the summer. It's a tough conundrum to think about for the NWSL and will this partnership salvage something? Hopefully, but it, it's a scary time when if you see Sam Kerr leave and you're a star player and you're thinking, hmm, Europe sounds real nice right about now because everything is better. Like they offer everything that the NWSL cannot offer. And that's the main issue here. Hopefully it gets better for both leagues with this Super League partnership. One final other piece of important news. We talked about Louisville having a new franchise. And we also mentioned a couple episodes ago, Lyon was planning to get into the NWSL market. And we knew that. I initially thought Lyon was going to create their own franchise in their own city of their choosing. Instead, the plan is to go purchase Rain FC and it's great it's great but i again it just doesn't make sense rain fc has its own culture its own aspect to it as a part of seattle culture how is this going to fit exactly i have no idea it's great that they're going to get money pumped into this team and they're going to be able to to do things the european way and we'll see if that will have an impact on what players decide whether they want to stay whether that's a team they would want to come play for imagine because leon buys this team that players from women's leon's teams start to come over to rain fc to, to play that would be tremendous right you're looking at some of those french stars we saw amandine Henri come over and play for portland if players like Eugenie Le Sommer, Wendy Renard came over, it would be tremendous for the league. So this is good in many ways. It's just an interesting fit that they decided to choose Rain FC. I guess the fact that they moved to a smaller market definitely impacted this decision. Because if they were in Seattle, I'm not necessarily sure. And if they were known as the Seattle Rain, that this deal wouldn't necessarily happen. Because you're looking at them playing at a, a minor league baseball stadium. Like, that's not what the league needs. Like, I get that they found a stadium, but that's not what the league needs at all. So, looking forward, Lyon getting their hands in the NWSL is a great, great thing. Alrighty, guys. That is it for episode 28. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. It has been a crazy last couple months in the world of women's soccer of course we will get everything wrapped up for you in the next episode kind of like a best of women's soccer episode kind of recapping everything that went down so make sure you tune in for that and again download and subscribe on all avenues we are on spotify iHeartRadio, apple podcasts itunes however you want to get it you can get it so make sure you subscribe download and again shout out to all of you who have been downloading it's been a great ride we just want to give a quick shout out to the top five cities who have downloaded the podcast and you look at coming in at number one chicago no surprise we got a big red stars fan base washington coming in at number two san diego at number three la at number four new york at number five new york represent la represent so we are happy to have you guys continually download keep doing that we will be back next time again it is giving go episode 28 i'm your host rotas wadera thank you guys peace out